What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you in your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint that God our Father desires for you and all of us to become. Here's the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, discipleship, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, the list goes on. I will then sit with your questions and try to respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to grow in virtue. However, if my advice is not helpful for you to grow in virtue, if it is not good for you, then I want to give you the full freedom to disregard whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. However, if my advice is good for you, though difficult, then I really want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ so that he can give you the grace to fulfill the demands of discipleship. You can hit me up with your own questions at askfatherjosh at essentialpress.com. You can also critique this show and every other show in the past, comment on those shows, and shoot me new questions for future shows. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. That helps other people find out about the podcast. And finally, if you share us on your social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., that also helps other people find out about the show. If the show is a gift for you, potentially, it can become a gift for other people as well. On today's show, we have three really good topics. We're going to talk about horoscopes and how to have difficult conversations with loved ones who are invested in horoscopes. We're going to talk about the traditional practice of Inver Days in the Catholic Church's history and also the, the gift of the images and relics of saints and the reason why we as Catholics uphold these statues, these stained glass windows, and these relics uh, in our walk and in our relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we get into those topics, I want to share with you a glory story. glory story this week comes from my time I was able to spend in Poland. I was able to go to Poland with some of my parishioners at Our Lady of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Santa Maria, Louisiana, Diocese of Baton Rouge, as well as a number of other people throughout Louisiana and across the nation. And it was such a gift to, to be in Poland with my buddy Father Todd and Jeff and Emily Cavins and, and spend time with St. John Paul the Great and St. Maximilian Kolbe to be with St. Edith Stein and St. Maria Faustina, and of course, my man, Blessed Jersey Popoluski. Uh, these are, are some of the powerhouses, these radical disciples of Jesus Christ, whose impact on Poland is still being witnessed to this day. Out of all the places that I went to, out of all the things that we got to experience and all the places we were able to pray and worship God, um, I think that one of the most powerful places for me uh, that I want to share with you was at St. John Paul the Great's home that he grew up in. He grew up literally right across the street from the church where he was baptized at, where he received his first Holy Communion, uh, went to his first reconciliation, was confirmed, as well as was an altar server and uh, nurtured his, his relationship with Jesus Christ and the Blessed Mother with Mary. Um, but in his house, up across the street. He lived on the second floor of this business and it was a living room, a bedroom and a kitchen. And as you may know, his mother died whenever he was a baby. His sister was already dead. His brother died when he was a teenager and his dad died whenever he was 21. And so for the majority of his life, he grew up with just he and his dad in this house. And they lived in one very small bedroom. Uh, they had two twin beds and they had a, a kneeler in the room and a desk. And there was one heater in the room and John Paul's dad allowed John Paul to sleep on the side of the, the room with the heater so that he wouldn't be cold at night. So the, the father offered up that little sacrifice 
that little piece of self-denial for his son. But every night that followed also prayed throughout the night on the kneeler. So John Paul remembered growing up, just waking up in, in the middle of the night, seeing his dad on the kneeler praying. And so that was huge for me to see. Um, John Paul later on said that his first experience of seminary formation was actually just living with his dad, seeing his father's relationship with God and the way his father offered up tangible sacrifices for his good and the way his father um, set aside intentional time with Jesus for prayer. And so I really want to encourage you, our listeners, um, to, to be witnesses of prayer in your own domestic church, at your homes, with your families. The impact that your kids will will be able to to have in their particular relationship with Christ is it, it, I guess it, it can't go without saying how important it is for you to pray and for you to be witnesses of prayer not just to tell them to pray but for to pray in the morning so that whenever they wake up they see you praying and whenever they go to bed at night they see you on your knees praying with your rosary that's the stuff that your kids are going to remember that's the stuff that your spouse is going to remember that's the stuff that your parents are going to remember if you're still living at home with them your siblings your friends your roommates if you're in college right now or if you're a young adult and you have roommates like be authentic witnesses of prayer of the interior life with Christ and it will leave a greater impact than you could ever imagine on the people that you are surrounded with right now so that was part of my biggest glory story. We got to celebrate Mass in some beautiful places. The Black Madonna Shrine was absolutely amazing. Uh, we heard some pretty cool stories that I'm probably going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks um, while we were at Divine Mercy Shrine. And, but uh, yeah, it was, it was probably probably that simple place of the, the home of JP2 and seeing the impact that his father's relationship with Christ had on him. Yeah, so that's my glory story. And I just want to encourage you to be men and women of prayer. All right, before we get into today's topics, I have some follow-up feedback from previous episodes. First one comes in from Holly. Holly says this, Hi, Father Josh. You repeatedly asked for suggestions for future themed shows, so I thought I'd throw my two cents in. I was very touched by a listener from the July 16th episode, Stephen, who suffers from scrupulosity. I felt great compassion for him because I have struggled from the childhood, uh, from childhood with those same scrupulous doubts and fears. I know how lost he feels and how hard he's trying, and I understand his desperation. Father, I think there are many people out there who suffer from some degree of scrupulosity without knowing what it is or how to get help. So I thought I'd request a themed show on this topic. Thank you for your ministry, Father. God bless you, Holly. Yeah, Holly, that is a great idea for a future theme show. So I really want to encourage you, the listeners, to hit me up with your own questions with regards to the topic of scrupulosity so we could dive into those questions and help each other become saints. Finally, we have some feedback from Christina. Christina says, Hola, Padre Josh. Thank you so very much for your podcast on discernment with Jackie and Bobby. Jackie, Bobby, Jackie, Bobby. Let me tell you, I'm my mind is blown right now. I can relate so much with Christina. My name is also Christina, and I've also been single all my 25 years of life. I'd like to invite you, sister, to meditate on a prayer by St. Anthony of Padua. Be satisfied with me. This is a beautiful prayer, which also helps one to focus on the giver and not the gift. Also, if you feel called to marriage more than any other vocation, it's okay. But it's also okay to be uncertain, as this can be an invitation to trust God even more. He knows what and who it is we need and when. Father Josh, thank you for giving glory to God to this podcast. Dios te bendiga siempre, Cristina. All right, well, God bless you too, Cristina, and let's continue to walk with each other so that one day you and I can rejoice in our universal bridegroom jesus christ in the kingdom of heaven let's get into today's show 
on to the first question. First question comes in from Mary. Mary, did you know? Yeah, you knew. All right, so Mary writes this. Hi, Father Josh. I've been wondering whether I should keep up a friendship. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. All right, my bad. I'm sorry. I'm hyped today. I've been wondering whether I should keep up a friendship with a coworker whose lifestyle and beliefs are pretty opposite of mine. This coworker puts a lot of faith into horoscopes and said something about how people would be surprised if they knew that a big part of witchcraft is about natural remedies like herbs and essential oils. We don't agree about sex or that marriage should be between a man and a woman. I just listen when she talks about all of this because I don't know if it's my place to correct her. And honestly, I'm scared to. I don't want to condemn her or make her think she wouldn't be welcome in the church. Plus, I think of Jesus eating with tax collectors. She grew up Christian and stopped practicing at some point. She says she prays and she actually expressed an interest in joining a non-denominational church, which I think may be the result of her spending time with me and a Christian coworker. So part of me wants to be that influence who points her closer to Christ. But I really have a problem with her openness to witchcraft and horoscopes. It makes me uncomfortable, and I don't want to subject myself to any kind of occult influence. And I want friends who are pursuing holiness. So part of me wants to distance myself, at least outside of work. We're both pretty new to our jobs and our city, and both of our social lives are mostly with coworkers. And maybe my reluctance to correct her or defend her, what I believe comes from a fear that it would make work awkward, or a fear that she'd turn other coworkers against me. Besides these differences, we really do click and have bonded over a couple of interests. Plus, I know she could use a friend and use Jesus even more. I'm just struggling with knowing whether I should be that friend. Any advice is very welcome. Praying for you, Mary. Okay, Mary. So um, I prayed with with your question, and uh, I'm just going to pose a question to you right now and, and, and every other listener. Because I've answered some questions in the past about like relationship advice and how to deal with conflict. And I've already uh, addressed horoscopes on the podcast and, and the, the demonic and witchcraft. So um, so my first question to you right now is this, and I really want to invite you to take this to your time of prayer. How do you believe in this season of your life right now, in this very moment that you are listening to this podcast, how do you believe and how do you think that the enemy is attacking you right now? I want you to write down that question. How is the enemy attacking me right now? Because he is attacking you, right? Spiritual warfare is very real, and he's attacking you right now. But I want you to be able to pinpoint and identify with everything you've written about work and about this coworker and about witchcraft and about being new and about the opinions of others, um, all these things. How is the enemy attacking you? And you've mentioned in this question that you have a few fears. Where is that fear coming from? So the next question I want to encourage you to write down is, Jesus, where is this fear coming from? Clearly, it's not coming from Jesus, right? Do not be afraid. How many times does Christ tell us this in the word of God? How many times does the Bible tell us to not be afraid? So if the fear is not coming from Jesus, then who is the fear coming from? I want you to answer that question. The rules of discernment, Father Timothy Gallagher has some really good books on this, but based on saying Ignatius of Loyola, the rules of discernment would invite us to do the following. Number one, be aware. Be aware that you are being attacked by the enemy right now. You're being attacked in a specific way. You're being attacked with this fear of rejection, 
right now, this fear of rejection, understand that that fear of rejection is not coming from Jesus Christ. And since that fear of rejection is not coming from Jesus Christ, but it is being suggested to you from the enemy, you need to take action. What action ought you take? Well, what is God calling you to do? Well, So this reminds me of my old spirit director who I've talked about all the time on this podcast and in my book, my senior fits. My senior fits. Anytime I had a problem, I would call my senior fits up. But my senior fits would send me straight to voicemail. Voicemail would say something like this, like your, your phone call is so important to me, but I want you to know that uh, if you haven't gone to God about what you're coming to me about, I want you to hang up the phone right now and go to God and then get back to me after y'all have talked. Right, so go to God, take action, run to God, flee to Christ. Go to God. God, how do you want me to, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to take action? Because I'm being attacked by the enemy right now with this fear of rejection. And then wait till the Lord tells you what to do, right? Maybe the Lord's going to call you to intercede for that friend, to fast for that friend, to pray for that friend. Maybe the Lord's going to call you to not see that person necessarily as a friend, but as as someone who you're called to, to minister to, right? someone you're called to feed into whenever you're at work, potentially, Mary, your life might be the only Bible that this coworker may ever see. Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, invites you as a laywoman to go out there into the work environment in a place where I can't go. Your friend might not listen to me. Your friend might not be open to me, a priest of Jesus Christ, share the joy of the gospel with her, but you might be the image of the body of Jesus Christ that she is willing to listen to at some point in her walk toward eternity. Now, rather than focusing on the rules of Jesus so soon, I would encourage you to focus on Jesus, right? Try to help her to encounter Jesus. Maybe get plugged into a small group Bible study at your local church and invite her to join that Bible study. If there is any kind of young adult praise and worship adoration night, invite her to that. Keep pointing her to Jesus first so that she can fall in love with Jesus. And then after she gets to know Jesus and she falls in love with him, then inform her on the rules of Jesus, which we certainly know he condemns in the word of God by virtue of the sacred scripture, the use and the practice of psychics, of mediums, of witchcraft, right? Then introduce her to the rules of Jesus. Now that she knows him, she can wrestle with him. St. Bernadette once said, it's not my duty to convince anybody, it's my duty to inform. You're not going to convince her on why horoscopes are wrong. Jesus Christ would do that. The Holy Spirit would do that. But your duty is to first help her to encounter Christ through your witness, through your prayers and fasting, and potentially through a Bible study or some kind of small group encounter. And then once she gets to know Jesus, inform her on the rules of Jesus. But again, Pay attention to how the enemy is attacking you right now. You're in a, a, an all-out assault. And pay attention to the fears. Where they're coming from, they're not coming from Christ. So let God fight this battle for you. Let him affirm his love for you. And then keep walking forward as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, who is not only called to become a saint, but is called to form saints as well. So, Mary, I hope that was helpful for you. Let me know. All right. Speaking of praying and fasting and growing in holiness, let's jump into my second question for the show. All right, excuse my voice a little bit, y'all. I got a, a little cold or something like that. I came back from Poland and got that little cough. 
got that yuck yuck coughing up out of my mouth. So, uh, but anyways, next question comes in from Elaine and she writes about the Ember days. Uh, she says this, hi, Father Josh, I'm seeing on social media people talking about something in the Catholic church called Ember days. From what I can tell, Ember days are a penitential season that could take place four times a year, Lent, June, September, and December. And these are a time of fasting for vocations for holy and good priests. Will you explain in more detail how this tradition got started and why it's not commonly practiced? Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast and for the work you do and are doing for the Catholic Church. Elaine, yes, Elaine, certainly. So Catholic Ember Days are historically rooted in uh, the history since like the 200s when Pope Calixtus regulated that all Christians in Rome should observe three days of fasting from meat and one meal a day with two snacks on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays four times a year for this, like you said, holy state of life vocations to the priesthood and for the guys who are already living consecrated life as priests, as ordained ministers of, of the gospel, uh, for them to also become holy as well. There are four penitential seasons between the first and second Sunday of Lent around, around June between Pentecost Sunday and Trinity Sunday, the third week of September after the Feast of the Holy Cross and uh, December between the third and fourth Sunday of Advent. So historically, in the old days, um, before the Second Vatican Council, um, ordinations to the priesthood took place around the calendar of Ember Days. Uh, and this is um, seen in Scripture, right? They didn't come about until the 200s, but even in Scripture, the practice of, of fasting and praying uh, took place before someone received the laying on of hands. That's in Acts chapter 13, verse 3. So this went on as, as a practice in the church since the 200s. Um, and then uh, in 1966, Pope Paul VI uh, he decreed that the Ember Days um, uh, were to be removed from the calendar and that the clergy and laity were no longer um, bound to observing these fasts. However, he did not say that you did not have to practice these fasts. So even though after 1966, we're no longer bound to practice the Ember Days, they're still optional. Um, and they're still encouraged by many people. Uh, some bishops have encouraged their diocese to do this. Some pastors have encouraged their laity. And some families have just kept up with the practice. And so that's kind of the history behind Ember Days. And, and the point, again, is for holy vocations and holy priests. And I, I think that right now we can agree that we need holy priests. We need holy seminarians. But we also need holy marriages. And if we have holy pastors and holy seminarians, I think we will have holy religious. And if we have holy religious, we'll also have holy lay people. And so uh, I believe that it would be uh, a, a good idea to discern with your spiritual director um, and potentially your pastor, if the Lord is inviting you to begin practicing the Ember Days um, for the sanctification of the priesthood, but also for the sanctification of, of the world and our generation. Uh, so it's certainly permissible to continue to practice Ember Days, even though we are not mandated to practice these days on our calendar anymore. So, uh, Elaine, hopefully that was helpful for you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And whenever we get back, uh, we're going to dive into our final question. Imagine this, you're walking down the street and a Christian at a table with a bunch of pamphlets ask you, have you been saved? What would you do? Would you know how to respond? Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford and I'm co-presenter along with Jeff Cavins in Ascension's new Great Adventure Bible Study, Romans, the Gospel of Salvation. In this study, we teach you the biblical foundations for the Catholic teaching on salvation 
how to explain salvation quickly and easily to non-Christians, what St. Paul really meant by works not leading to salvation, and how we can enter more deeply into Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans has been at the center of reflection, conversion, and controversy from the very beginning, and it's widely considered his greatest work. I invite you to start a small group in your home or parish and embark on this great adventure. Romans, the Gospel of Salvation is available for pre-order right now and for purchase on September 1st, 2019. To order, visit ascensionpress.com. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at ascensionpress.com. If you're feeling fancy, record a voice note, send it to me as well, and we will play it on a future show. Also, don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. And finally, don't forget to share us on your social media pages so that other people can find out about the gift of the show. Last question comes in about images of saints from Umberto. Umberto writes this, Hello, Father Josh. Thank you for all your podcasts. I've just started listening to them last weekend, and I've been watching Essential Presents for about a year now. I have a question about my Catholic faith. I love it with the passion, and I love the Eucharist, and I love God. My goal every day is to make him the center of my everything. I have a devotion to Mother Mary and St. Joseph of Assisi, my favorite saint, my patron saint, um, and I've been considering and discerning priesthood since 2016. Well, shout out to you, Umberto. I guess if y'all want somebody to pray and fast for, if you're going to practice the Ember Days, how about you apply those prayers of fasting to Umberto? Um, I'm in college right now, and uh, I'm a freshman, and I'll wait for God to take his time. However, my question is this. Why do we look at relics and images and statues of saints with so much reverence? Umberto. All right, Umberto, great question. I think sometimes our devotion to relics and saints and holy images can sometimes confuse a lot of people, especially our Protestant brothers and sisters. They can sometimes see our devotion and they can think that we are worshiping relics or worshiping uh, images of saints or statues, which certainly we are not. That would be idolatry. Uh, but we do have a lot of reverence for statues. Um, we do have a lot of reverence for images. We do have a lot of reverence for for relics. So first I want to start off with with relics. Relics are what? They're physical objects um, that are associated with some saint throughout salvation history or with our Lord Jesus Christ as well. Um, there's first class relics, second class relics, and third class relics. First class obviously are uh, parts of the body of, of that particular saint, their hair, their bone, their flesh, etc. Second class relics are something that they owned, such as their clothes or their books and other objects. And third class relics are something that has been touched to um, a, a first, um, second uh, class relic of, of a saint um, or of Jesus Christ and his belongings. So, that's what a relic is. Um, it, it literally is like a remnant of something um, that that was used or belonged to someone or part of someone in, in history. Um, and so scripture teaches us that God acts through relics. Like this is part of the word of God. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 through 21, um, there was a corpse of a man who was touched the bones of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was dead. And this guy, um, his corpse were touched to Elijah's bones because the guy was, um, that they needed to bury him and they were worried about, oh no, what are we going to do? There's these people coming to our town. So they threw his body on the corpse of Elijah, the relics of Elijah, and he came back to life. Now the question is this, was it the relics of Elijah that brought the man back to life? No, it was God. But for whatever reason, in God's divine providence, God chose to use these relics of Elijah to communicate his grace to this man. Likewise, whenever um, there was the woman who was hemorrhaging for so many years, she touched the clothes of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 20 through um, 22. 
she touched his clothes and she was healed. Was it the clothes of Jesus Christ that healed the woman? No, it was the grace of Christ. However, God chose to act in and through these physical things and is continuing to do that all throughout salvation history. In the Acts of the Apostles, we see the saints, the first Christians, also manifesting God's glory through their objects, through the Spirit of God working through their objects. And so they've always been used by God throughout salvation history to communicate his grace for whatever reason to draw us to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we know um, from the year 156 um, AD in Acts of St. Polycarp, in um, St. Polycarp, he was a disciple of John the Beloved. He was baptized by John the Beloved. He writes this, he says, We adore Christ because he is the Son of God, but the martyrs we love as disciples and imitators of the Lord. So we, buried in a becoming place, Polycarp's remains, which are more precious to us than the costliest diamonds in which we esteem more highly than gold. So even the early church in the year 156, they held esteem for the relics of those people who were devoted to to Christ. Um, and so I think it's, um, so the, the purpose of, of relics is to help us to worship God even more. Whenever we encounter God's grace through a relic or whenever we look at an image, right, the images were given to the church because we have to keep in mind that everyone can read. And so for those who were illiterate, it was through sacred images that people encountered God, that people became disciples of Jesus Christ. Not everybody can read the Bible. Some people cannot read today and they could not read back then. Some people were not able to be educated. I mean, think about all the slaves during slavery who were not allowed to learn, to read, and to write. The only way that they were going to become disciples of Jesus Christ was if they had someone else proclaim the gospel to them and or if they saw a holy image. St. Josephine Bakita became a disciple of Jesus Christ because she saw, right, she saw a crucifix. She saw the beloved body of Jesus Christ crucified. And, and she recognized, oh my gosh, that's someone else's body that's all torn apart like my body. And, and that drew her to intimacy with Christ. And so the purpose of that statue, the purpose of stained glass windows, the purpose of artwork and the purpose of relics, my brother, is to draw us to a deeper relationship with God so we can get out of ourselves and begin to worship God for God. Yeah. So I got excited real quick. Um. So yeah, so God uses relics, he uses images, he uses statues throughout salvation history to communicate his grace to us, to draw us to worship him, to worship him in our walk toward eternity. And so, yeah, so that's why we have relics. That's why we have images, statues, and the list goes on. It's all so they can be a bridge for us in our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So hopefully that was helpful for for you, my brother. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah. So, yeah, if it wasn't, let me know. Hit me up with with your own uh, questions about relics and about images. And especially if you're Protestant. I know a lot of my viewers are Protestant. You're non-denominational, evangelical, Baptist, Methodist, etc. I would love to hear from you as well. Um, so we could continue to accompany each other so you can share your insights with me and so that I could also continue to share my insights with you. Hopefully they might be helpful in case they're not then my bad. All right, so that wraps up today's show. Let's uh, close in a prayer, uh, specifically a selection from Be Satisfied With Me by my confirmation saint, St. Anthony of Padua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Everyone longs to give themselves completely to someone, to have a deep soul relationship with another, to be loved thoroughly and exclusively. But to a Christian, God says, no, not until you are satisfied fulfilled and content with being loved by me alone, with giving yourself totally and unreservedly to me, 
with having an intensely personal and unique relationship with me alone, discovering that only in me is your satisfaction to be found. Will you be capable of the perfect human relationship that I have planned for you? You will never be united to another until you are united with me. Exclusive of anyone or anything else, exclusive of any other desires or longings, I want you to stop planning, to stop wishing, and to allow me to give you the most thrilling plan existing, one you cannot imagine. I want you to have the best. Please allow me to bring it to you. You just keep watching me, expecting the greatest things. Keep experiencing the satisfaction that I am. Keep listening and learning the things that I tell you. Just wait. That's all. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't look around at things others have gotten or that I have given them. Don't look around at things you think you want. Just keep looking off and away up to me or you miss what I want you to sh- want to show you. And then when you're ready, I'll surprise you with the love far more wonderful than you could dream of. You see, until you're ready, until the one I have for you is ready, I'm working even at this moment to have both of you ready at the same time until you are both satisfied exclusively with me and the life I prepared for you. You won't be able to experience the love that exemplified your relationship with me, and this is perfect love. And dear one, I want you to have this most wonderful love. I want you to see in the flesh a picture of your relationship with me and enjoy materially and concretely the everlasting union of beauty, perfection, and love that I offer you it myself. Know that I love you utterly. I am God. Believe it and be satisfied. God bless. And stay tuned. Next week, I'll be with you again at Ask Father Josh. 